On the Empire Podcast this week, we swing into action with the amazing Spider-Man director and producers Mark Webb, Avi Arad and Matt Tomac. We get in the mood for Lucas Moodison as the Swedish director drops by to talk his new movie, We Are the Best. And there's usual movie news, reviews and nonsense on the movie podcast that's starting to believe. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the last before Easter, yes... It's a time of year when we all come together and take a moment to think about the selfless sacrifice of a truly great man who died so we all could live. I'm talking, of course, about Harry Stamper from Armageddon. Also with me today, requesting permission to shake the hand of the daughter of the bravest man they've ever met, are three of my glorious and esteemed colleagues, close personal friends, cousins, doctors, gardeners. First up is our reunion's master, the man who brought the Goonies back together. He was the Three Amigos' brand new El Guapo, and he proved that Mel Gibson and Danny Glover weren't too old for this shit. He's just about to head off to LA for his next reunion. It's a Magnificent Seven reunion, or as I like to call it, Robert Fawn alone in the hotel room staring at the clock with mounting horror. It's Nick DeSemlian. Hello, sir. Sorry, Chris. It's actually uh, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> it's been 10 years. Can you believe it? Really? Yeah. No, it wow. hasn't. Mm-hmm. It's also, no, it it's hasn't. also been 10 years since Mean Girls. It's also been 10 years since Napoleon died. Hang on a second. It has been 10 years since Scooby-Doo yeah. 2. Monsters I reviewed Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. No. I Distinctly, uh, because I've been up very late the night before, and I sort of zoned out. And which is pretty much how they made the film. I think they yeah, were, I was in the right. They were the up right at the night before they had to finish the film, and they were like, "Oh God, we better do something quick." Oh well, yeah, that'll do. James that'll Gunn do. wrote that. Yes, he did. I take it all back. Next up is our podcast editor, a man who loves comedy so much so he's currently trying to reunite the Pythons. Wonder how that's going to work out. It's Ali Plum. Fingers crossed, guys. I but don't know. I've got one big holdout. And last but not least is our geek queen who's currently in talks to reunite her mind with her body after the former was blown by this week's episodes of Game of Thrones. How's it working out for you, Helen O'Hara? It's working out well. Uh, Can you believe spoiler, spoiler, spoiler? I mean, spoiler, right? That bit with Stannis. OMG. Did anyone see last night's MasterChef? Greg Wallace died in last night's MasterChef. He was was beheaded by a carelessly used uh, Julien. As John Trode leaned in and whispered Hell Hydra and decapitated Greg Wallace with one mighty swipe of his paw. Uh, Anyway, uh, welcome all to the pod booth. First order of business, as it invariably is, oh god, I'm going to be all over the place in this one, is to tackle your questions and comments you've sent in this week via Facebook. We have a Facebook question, email and Twitter. First one is from uh, Twitter, at Mark Burridge, who asks... Is VOD affecting your purchases of DVD slash Blu-rays? VOD um, still sounds like some kind of venereal disease. I'm it really sorry. Does, yeah. It does. It's, it uh, does. I guess it, it has, hasn't it? 100%. Yeah, it really definitely has. I'm not buying as many uh, yeah. DVDs and Blu-rays. It's horrible because I, you know, I lament the passing of HMV and I, I, I still love it when I go to a Westfield and I see an HMV clinging desperately onto life. And, uh, and yeah, I'm part of the problem now. You I guess are. I haven't bought a Blu-ray for a long time. I buy Blu-rays, but they've got to be really fancy. I like the cardboard boxes. I like the additional stuff. Like, as an example of something which I view as just what the basic should be, you can buy certain series of Futurama on Blu-ray which have a copy of the script that won an Emmy in a small booklet. It has a T-shirt that comes with it. Maybe not every Blu-ray should have that, but it just really makes a difference. There's just so much available uh, for free. Well, not for free, but... You know, for you to binge on something like you mentioned Futurama, which I'm watching on Sky Go at the moment, and it's like, am I going to spend mm. lots and lots of money? It would be nice to have all the extra stuff, but I can watch every episode as part of my Sky package. So, but I'm the kind of guy that listens at least when it comes to Futurama, The Simpsons, to commentaries and the mm. deleted scenes and the animatics and all that stuff. I wonder when I'll ever have the time to do it twice. I mean, isn't that why you buy a Blu-ray? But you know. I've got it. Mm. It looks good on my shelf. I think I buy, I buy my my favourite shows. Um, so sometimes the VOD can be a kind of a, a tester. 
And then if I really love it, I, I will sort of buy it as a tribute to its awesomeness. I will say as well, I, I'm still I'm very, very much about the physical copy. I love having a shelf of uh, or several shelves of Blu-rays and DVDs. I still love that. A little bit stony broke at the moment, so I haven't bought anything for a while. <laughs> but there's there is some, you know, VOD is getting better. Whenever um, Love Film became Amazon Prime uh, Instant Video a couple uh, about a month ago, I wasn't very happy with the choice. I thought the choice was was pretty ropey. And then I actually took like a, a morning to go through it. And there's some real gems in there, some stuff that, you know, you, you would struggle to find on Blu-ray. For example, on Saturday, I, I just sat and watched a great Hammer movie, one of, the, one of the great sort of unsung Hammer movies, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, because it was on Amazon Prime Instant Video. And it's great. And, and, and Netflix are getting better in that sort of way. And, and Sky as well. You know, it's, it's great being a, a Sky subscriber because... Uh, as you guys know, if you're a regular listeners to the podcast, I still haven't seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. I've had the oh. first season box set for a year and a half, and I still haven't opened it. I'm planning to. I'm going to get around to it. I've just started the Hannibal. I'm about to, uh, once that's done, I'm going to get to, into Game of Thrones. Uh, but I've got the first season Blu-ray. But right now, you can download every single episode in HD on, on Sky. So I've got, the, I've got seasons two and three, and every episode of season four, as it comes, primed and ready to go. Netflix is especially is still much better for TV than for film, I think. There isn't much in the way of new films. And actually, on Netflix, if you type in a director's name, you kind of realise the shortcomings. They've got like one Spielberg film, one Peter Jackson film. Yeah. There isn't a huge library of stuff there yet. I think that'll change, though. And I think, what, I think what will happen is, I don't think any one provider will be able to give you all the answers. I think you'll be able to just switch around, whether it's Xbox video, whether it's 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 pay per view on Sky, which which does some stuff. Xbox video does. iTunes are, are great as well. They've got a wonderful library. Then there's Amazon Prime Instant Video, uh, for which you pay like I think it's something like eighty quid a year for Amazon Prime, and then you get that as a part of your subscription. And then there's obviously Netflix, which is six quid a month. I mean, so I don't know. Does that add up ultimately to more than I would spend on Blu-rays every month? But do I get more for? My more buying for my buck, I guess. I guess I do. I, you know, but I, I do feel bad. I do feel bad sometimes about watching something when I know I could go out and support a physical industry. When I could go out and support a Blu-ray industry and uh, and a shop as well. And HFV, a great institution that, that's dying, and it's dying because of people like us. Damn you! Damn us! Damn us all to hell. Uh, so yes, Mark Bridge. I think the answer is yes. Uh, next question is from email. It's via email. Only from uh, someone. He refers to himself only as Mysterious Marty. Oh, an Oscar winner. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. Been listening since the very start, back in those ropey days. Lol, only joking. Outrageous. Definitely, Gen- Genuine email, and you're absolutely on the money. Uh, has there ever been a film or scene that was so intense, disturbing, <laughs> that you've walked out or felt that you might have to walk out? For my money, death by fire extinguisher or and unfortunate incident in an underpass and irreversible came close. Now, given that's quite early and irreversible, that's quite interesting. The, uh, keep the good work up. The Ghost of Christmas Past from The Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> Definitely there. That's Chilling. what worried you most? Hmm. I have a serious answer. I have never, I'll probably have my film critic card cut up for this, but I have never made it through Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and watched about 10 minutes and it really freaked me out, so I turned it off and I just have never faced it well what, what is it about it that makes you uh, a bit squeamish is the the dinner table scene do you do you get that far nope nope, nope. so you don't know when to i don't think it. they even made it to the house <laughs> were there any chainsaws involved by the time you no, were there? honestly nothing had happened i just it was the atmosphere of it and i was just like uh you watching it by yourself 
No, I was watching it with a friend. Oh, wow. And uh, we put something else on. I should probably watch it. It's probably not anywhere near as bad as I'm imagining it is. It's just that I always get scared in horror movies before anything bad happens. As soon as the killings start, I'm fine. But it's that, it's like I remember seeing The Descent and just being absolutely terrified. The, the preamble to yeah. all the horribleness. Actually, when all the blood and mayhem starts, it's not, that, it's not as bad. It, in your mind, it's always kind of worse. Yeah, The Descent is. was really, really scary. I, um, I would say... I mean, something like the the curb incident in American History X uh, made me, you know, scream quite a lot and want to be elsewhere. But I didn't leave the film, uh, thank goodness. I generally haven't left when any of these things have happened because I have found, I think like you, it's better to push through. If you can push through to the end, generally speaking, you know, you end up less traumatised than I think you might if you... Like, I'm probably more traumatised by The Human Centipede because I have not seen it. Mm than I might be if I saw it and decided it was a bit rubbish. Yeah, my, my friend who I was living with for a few months was watching The Human Centipede just because, look, oh, he's, oh, I, I want to watch it. Do you want to watch it with me? No, no, I'll be all right. So I went to my room, I was reading a book or whatever, and I could just hear the noise of The Human Centipede. Mm-hmm. The movie, if you just hear the audio, is the scariest radio show you will ever, ever hear. It is so, <laughs> so odd. The, the Foley artistry on that film. Say what you like about it, but the Foley work is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are films that I'm too scared to tackle. I was just talking to our freelancer, Simon Crook, yesterday about Martyrs. And mm. just from what I've heard about that, I don't want to go near it. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's, you know, I don't think it's your bag. Probably not. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Parts I, of Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> mm. uh, pretty much the entirety of Ghostbusters 2 is, is just... Okay, awful. L- no, I'm just, not, I'm just Nick Bailey. And I, yeah, I actually like, just, I like Ghostbusters too. I like it. Come on, guys. You're never here whenever people defend Ghostbusters too. You're never on. The there are people defending Ghostbusters too when I'm not here. Nah. <laughs> Although someone did uh, tweet in and say they they preferred it to Ghostbusters. Last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about final shots of movies, and Phil asked me about the final shot of Ghostbusters too. I couldn't think of it until just after the podcast. It's amazing. What is it? It's the painting of the guys. Do you remember the painting and magically oh, appears? Yes. And it's Bill Murray holding a baby. It was amazing. It, it is moving. <laughs> it's moving. Is it just a random baby? Only or emotionally. Huh? Oh, okay. No, it's um, yeah, it's the Danny ba- Barrett's It's baby. the baby. Yeah, from the film. It's the baby from the film. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's move on then <laughs> to a question from NC Low at NC Low, a regular question contributor. If you could do a podcast on any non-Empire related subject, what would you choose, and who would co-host? I would go for Discworld and with Helen. Oh. Then Get I a disc say, room. I better say the same. <laughs> oh my god! I would do a podcast about Ali, but but with Chris. You wouldn't want to get you want to get too close to the source material. Absolutely not. We should all do iPod, uh, We should all do podcasts about each other and call it the Human Sent iPod. No, no, no. You know what? That. No. That's good. Yeah. Do you like that? I'm not laughing. Keep it in. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you would you would do that? Discworld. That's, that's real. Yeah. I like that has enough depth to justify and it's not to do with films okay yeah. I mean I, I think we've got to exclude TV here as well because we talk enough about TV but yeah I just feel like there's there's enough of a world there and enough auxiliary stuff God bless them they've pumped out some amazing Helen and I both got the Discord board game but they do maps they do diaries they do I recommend the diaries obviously posters and the artwork and everything so yeah that's that's something I really want to dig dig deep on would you like to hear that listeners if you if you would like to hear uh, Helen and Ali you know we'll join our Kickstarter fund yeah <laughs> that'd be interesting we'll need uh, 50p and a packet of crisps well Helen you, you'll be too busy presenting your own podcast about about I was thinking uh, it'd probably be uh, again either some kind of book 
related podcast that would be fun uh-huh. um, and it would be an excuse for people to send me free books which would be much uh, to be wished or maybe like something you know historical or something to just, just give me a, so you give this a lot of thought <laughs> well, no something, I would something genuinely something. historical in the sense of I would like to uh, to talk about for example my favourite you know kings and queens and the most interesting historical periods maybe with somebody who actually knows more about it than I do so I could uh, bend the rear so like you know Henry the Fourth of France or Henry the Second of England or Elner of Aquitaine who is fascinating who's your favourite king or queen pick it quickly Elner of Aquitaine that is a good answer she was married to Henry the Second right she divorced the king of France despite having had two kids by him on the grounds of herself being barren which is clearly nonsense then she had like six kids she wasn't a barren, with the king of England um, and she was the most powerful landowner in Europe at the time. She was pretty kick-ass. Well, that, is a hot, she that is a hot preview of this, right? uh, of Helen's new podcast. See, that could be awesome, right? Wow. I'm in. Mine's King Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Unsubscribe. Uh, mine would clearly be about football. Uh, <laughs> obviously. Big fan of the football. Obviously. Uh, no, it wouldn't be football. It would probably be... I'd do something on board games. I bet there are lots of podcasts already board about board games. games. There are several. I like board games. I love a board game. I've discovered... Uh, What's very, your best board game? Very good. Well... Set, that's set, a big question Settlers of Catan right Escape from Cold is, is amazing you mm. could play as a Nazi um, that, I don't, that don't approve, I don't approve of that it's not good <laughs> um, my favourite game of recent times is got to be Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective which is quite an old game but it's bloody good have you ever played Pandemic no that's an excellent game okay let's do this podcast I, I highly recommend it I would also recommend a, a, a board game called Ticket to Ride Ooh, which is which good. is very good, yeah. You it's, can play as Ringo, Paul. Yeah, all the big names. Uh, that's four. Uh, no, it's about making a train line, and this is when it gets exciting across America. Choo choo! Oh my god! I I'm, know, right? I'm totally down for. I that. love board games. Let's do it. Let's do it. Who who would you get to co-host? Not us, Twan, because you'd get you'd get someone famous, wouldn't you? It would either be the boot or the hat. I would get Brian <laughs> Cox involved. I bet he's I bet he's a board game. Which one? The actor. Both. That's it. We get both. You host, and then they play a ball game with each other amazing alright well this is that's amazing this is fun that's amazing Discworld something about something shut up and uh, and board games awesome I'm going to be really boring and I would do a podcast about Liverpool Football Club no it is my obsession there we go alright so Chris Lawrenson via Facebook and I apologise for this one Chris Lawrenson because you sent this question in six months ago and I've only just seen it uh, very simple I can't believe we've never been asked this before what's your zombie attack plan Oh, so, that's a good question. Yeah. Zombie defense plan, right? Well, yeah. 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 Defense, but like, also. Like, as in, when zombies attack, what's your plan? Slow zombies, right? Slow zombies or yeah. fast zombies? Fast zombies, frankly, we're all fucked. Yeah. It has to be slow zombies. Yeah. Okay, so slow zombies. How much warning do we get? Can we stop half food? Or is it very much like overnight? our neighbours got a bit bite well I, I think even if you stockpile food like you're going to run out and you're going to have to venture out at some point so even mm. if you've stockpiled like a week you're probably still going to have to get out there yeah. um, I think we're you know we're in the scenario where stuff is going are we wrong. fighting off people in the local Sainsbury's is it, is it martial law uh, other supermarkets are, are available oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just thinking about my, my nearest yeah, my, sure. uh, Tesco's just down the road as well little always a good choice um, so <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if you go to Waitrose, you get a better class of zombies. You do get a better uh, artisan bread. I think about this all the time, and my plan involves taking the walkie-talkies I have, the Nerf guns I have. My, <laughs> the Nerf my, guns, yeah, my, yeah. My, my girlfriend's obsessed. When we last talked about a zombie attack, she went, "I need a pannier rack. My bike needs a pannier rack. I cannot what the, scythe. What the hell is that? 
the zombie apocalypse uh, pannier rack. Uh, it's the the it's the uh, small bag holder that you can put on the side of your back wheel Ooh, for a bike. And it, our plan is to cycle back to where I grew up, which is in a village just north of Reading, uh, because my mum is an incredible hoarder of uh, ceramics, newspapers, and canned goods and board games and board games, yeah, and Discworld books. And we'll just cycle all the way back there as fast as we can. Also, we also talk about what projectiles would be good, like kind of homemade projectiles to throw at zombies' heads. And recently, I've decided it's got to be a small full jam jar it's got the heft it's Ooh, got the yeah. weight yeah. Mm. if it hits the forehead it'll break and the, gra- the glass will go into the brain mm. that does work no. yep I, look I just want to slow them down a bit like I'm yeah. not I'm not saying it's going to kill them there's two close quarters I would get a, a sword or a large pointy stick and just spin around constantly yeah but That's I don't still have any close swords quarters. no not jam jar is too the <sighs> answer I think bite for, your hand the answer I think for all of us is that we need to get to wherever James Dyer is because you know that our James has hordes of supplies. He has several swords, so we could get one each. He'll kill us as soon as we get into his garden. He might kill us if when we, we get brush in the past his lavender bush. We'll be all dead because mm. he'll just have wire traps and you know swinging blades coming out of trees. I mean, to be fair, this is James's plan if a postman appears. Never mind zombies. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, will we not try and get here for one last pause? <laughs> you know, just, so just for old time's sake. <laughs> I don't know. I think my I think I don't know. My flat's pretty good at the moment because it's quite difficult to access, mm-hmm. and you could block off the front door fairly easily. And then all you would do is just climb in and out the window with a ladder to run across the road to get some supplies. I might go to the Tower of London. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that worked out quite well in World War Z. Um, they used the fortresses of Europe as as bases for, uh, during the zombie attack. Mm. There. I mean the book, obviously, not the film. And uh, you know you could reflood the moat of the Tower of London fairly easily. One would imagine. Um, and then that would be pretty, pretty tough to take. The only problem, of course, would be clean drinking water and, and food. Quick question for Ali. Is there a zombie board game? Yes, there is. Well, actually, Pandemic, is it's not about zombies, but it's a similar kind of infection thing. OK. But yes, there are many. I don't know any well enough to tell you one to recommend, but there are many, many, many. Well, there's Monopoly. Anyone? No? OK. Bueller? <laughs> Anyone? Um, basically, we're all dead. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Okay. Thanks for uh, your questions. If you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And look, we do read your Facebook questions eventually. Uh, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. And we're, uh, use the hashtag, please, Empire Podcast. Otherwise, we won't see it. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first interview. Lucas Moodison is a brilliant director of such eye-catching, occasionally sunny, occasionally experimental, always thought-provoking indie fair as Together and Lilia Forever. His new movie, We Are the Best, is out on Friday and is about a three-piece punk girl band. He popped into the pod booth recently to talk to, well, who else? Our, outhouse, our art house guru, Phil Dissemlian, and Ali Plum. Our outhouse guru. <laughs> our outhouse guru. Enjoy. Really, really love this movie. Thank it's, you. It's, um, it's got great, great, you've got great feedback, great it's reactions. Quite, it's quite extroverted. It's quite extroverted. Yeah. Do you reject the, the the sort of labels of extrovert and introvert? No, but we're all a combination, so we're all divergent. Yeah, yeah. I I wondered if the two characters, Bobo and Clara, have very dramatic haircuts, and I wondered if when you were sort of thirteen, fourteen years old, you had similarly a similarly punkish do. I think there are so many portrayals of punk today where people look enormously really perfect. Like, mm. I, I I really wanted them to have sort of half failed kind of <laughs> so yeah I also had those kind of failed 
haircuts a lot that didn't really look the way I had expected them to look. And so, like, <laughs> you know, you look at some pictures and then you want and you see yourself in the mirror, it's not the same. <laughs> you didn't take pictures of like Malcolm McLaren into the hairdressers and say, Can you do that for me? And then, no, I th no, it was more like I didn't go to a hairdresser, it was you, you, you do it yourself and your friends or something. So, the two main characters in We're the Best, Bobo and, and Clara, they kind of reject a lot of the, the conformity of, of the high school stuff in the mm -hmm. way that you've seen a lot of American movies, but in a slightly sort of different different way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Musically, neither of them are sort of amazing musicians when they start out, should we say? No. But they write some they write some great material. One of which is a kind of rejection of school sport, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, um, well, sport, hate in, the sport. sport in general. And sport in general. Yeah, I think that's sound. That's sort of that was actually a difficult song for for um, uh, Mira Singh to sing because she really loves sports. So <laughs> really? She, yeah, she, uh, she's a football player. And um, uh, so that was, I, when I asked what was the most difficult thing about making the film, it felt quite difficult to hate, suddenly hate sports. <laughs> she felt like she was betraying her yeah. teammates yeah. and stuff. Yeah. She had to coax her through that. Yeah. Was it easy to find those two, those two actors? Because they put in a beautiful sort of naturalistic performances very unselfconscious well both yes and no i think that the the, the unselfconsciousness that you mentioned is really important and i think that's sort of the kind of sickness or talent of being a, an actor that you have that ability to forget that the camera is there and this is to be well relaxed maybe is the wrong word but because that sounds like you're sort of leaning <laughs> backwards but sort of like being able to be very present in the moment and not and forgetting about everyone else in the room and i think that's something you're more or less born with um and i could of course see that all I, we, we auditioned maybe a thousand children kids and so I saw me immediately that they had that kind. These two had that kind of talent, but at the same time, you have to make sure that they fit together. So it took a very long time to sort of trying to figure out who and how. Actually, I once decided that I will never make a movie again with children because it just feels so terrible to reject people, to build up people's dreams, young people's dreams, and say that you're a wonder, you're great, and this is fantastic, and everything, and please come back to do another <laughs> audition, and then just say, no, you didn't get the part. And that's just, I hate that. That's very hard. But I never, never, never say anything negative. No. I'm extremely positive, and uh, I try to encourage people a lot and say that, and 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 also to tell the truth that sort of you are you are extremely talented. But for exactly this part in this film, yes, it didn't really match. But sort of, so I I try really to be very, very super positive the whole time. Can Can you do that with this podcast as well at the end? <laughs> just say, say the things. we need building up <laughs> we always need building up you have I think quite unusually amongst filmmakers a Tumblr page mm -hmm. which you lovingly update regularly and it's full of really fascinating things that mm -hmm. give an insight into stuff that, that moves you and, mm -hmm. and, and inspires you creatively one of those things surprisingly perhaps is Rihanna mm -hmm. at are the moment you... it's, it's, it's The Cure and Rihanna those are my main <laughs> there's some Miley Cyrus yeah. up there as well and lots of yeah but that's not necessarily yeah but because that's that's mostly because I want to be on the side of people who are bullied and I think that she's crazy and being bullied the whole time so that's why I'm on her side not necessarily because I love all her music really okay but with Rihanna and The Cure it's because I like what they do 100% 
Fair enough. Yeah. Do you like her in front of the camera as well? Have you seen, for instance, Battleship? No, I haven't. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 I haven't. We Are the Best is adapted from a graphic novel mm-hmm. by your wife. Mm-hmm. And how is the process of of um, of making that happen? Did you work quite closely on adapting it, or was it something where you just took it no, away? No, we have we we work in two rooms. We have a small office where, or you know, some yeah. We call it an office mm. uh, where I sit in one room and she sits in the next room. So we're always close together. We're like together 24 hours a day. Uh, so physically close. Yeah. But at the same time, both of us felt that she had made a really nice graphic novel and I was going to do a film of it. And there were like two separate things. So it's not like the film is the perfection or the 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 the, the sort of the final version it's like two different things so she wasn't involved at all actually except for when i always ask her for advice when it comes to things like what should they wear and things like that or what kind of music should they listen to in that scene or that kind of specific details but the script no she was just really happy that i wanted to do something funny and <laughs> uh, uh, something with energy because I had, she felt that I had spent too much time writing really depressing things. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you think so? Yeah, she was right. Yeah, I, I, I'd written two novels that I'm really proud of, but they're really slow and not slow, but really sad and meditative or something like that. And not a lot of energy in them. Yeah. So it just it felt like very nice to sort of do something else and and also as we talked about before regarding introvert and extrovert there is an in, something interesting in being a writer and then which is very introvert and then going out to make a film which is very extrovert because you have to work with a group of people so I think that was also good for me to sort of suddenly be in a social context again I heard an interesting um, sort of definition which I hadn't heard before about extroverts and introverts that an extrovert is someone that derives energy from other people extrovert an extrovert does yes and um, I suppose you couldn't help but be energized by by this cast. They seem to yeah. have, you know, it reminded me of watching together, where mm-hmm. where it feels like they have got so much yeah. energy uh, in front of the camera. Yeah, it was really a fun film to make. Um, more fun than together, actually. I think together was actually. I don't know. I, I remember. I maybe I remember wrong, but it felt like that was difficult film, more difficult film to make. But this one was really easy, and it was really nice to make it the whole time. So. Was it difficult because of practical? considerations or was it difficult because it obviously has some difficult subjects you know it's I guess in some ways a, a more serious film you I could think argue. The, the, the connection between how it feels to make a film and what the film turns out to be is sort of very very complicated yes and I think some of the most mm, sort of sad and dark things I've made I've, I felt really great when I made them yeah. so it doesn't really match this is a film that actually matches mm. because I w- what felt quite nice when we were making the film and it I think th- I hope that some of that energy is in the film yeah 100% <laughs> um, I, Together is a film that people are, have incredible fondness for are you, are you sort of do you get a lot of people wanting to come up and chat to you about that film it's interesting with different countries I think that it, it actually worked better in in the UK than in some other places so uh, uh, in Sweden I'm the the thing that the, the film that everyone everybody remembers me for in Sweden or remember I mean that I'm mostly associated is my is my first film fucking almost yes love which is not called that 
school. anywhere else. <laughs> I well, don't think. Uh, in some places, yes. In Scandinavia, well, in, in Norway, Denmark, yes. But we got a bit, we got a bit coy, and we called it <laughs> "Show Me Love." Yeah, which is maybe not quite as punchy a title. No, I rem- I know that it's actually called "Raus aus Omol" in Germany. What does that mean translated? It gets. It means get out of raus, you know. Like. <laughs> get out of the fucking house. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's show me love in English in yeah. America, and it's get out of the fucking house in Germany. Yep. Amazing. I know that you're a fan of lists, and I don't know if you're mm-hmm. a fan of lists of films, but together, mate, we had a few years back, we had an Empire Top 500 movies, mm-hmm. and together was there between Woody Allen's Radio Days. And William Wyler's The Best Years of Our Lives. Have okay. you seen have you seen those two films? Uh Woody Allen, yes. Are you a Woody Allen aficionado? No, because I'm not really a film aficionado in general. Ah. No, really? All, all other directors are enemies, so I don't like films. They're your enemies. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true for all directors actually. We just sometimes pretend that we like each other's work. <laughs> That's why it's much easier for me to like Rihanna or something because it's a, she's not an enemy of me. He's not competing with you. No, we're not competing. What happens if Rihanna starts directing movies? She comes right off your Tumblr. No, but it has to. It depends on if they're good enough. If they're real bad, then it's okay because it's much easier for me to actually to like something. And especially when I'm at home and I want to see something on. A, I have sort of very simple taste sometimes in in film. Mm. I have more. I have simpler taste in film than in literature, for example. When it comes to literature, I have really sort of strange taste. But I, when I'm in, in film, I just want to see something stupid and funny. Who do you feel the competition most from? If you if you say that all directors are competitors, who do you feel is the person snapping at your heels? Uh, Ingmar Bergman. Uh, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Yeah, I'm sure Michael Bay. Yeah. Ingmar Bergman, though. I mean, he's because you're both Swedish. Mm-hmm. He's the obvious kind of person that you'd be com- you've been compared with almost mm-hmm. from the beginning of your career, and he also kind of straight away endorsed you as a filmmaker back in the leave the fucking house days. Mm-hmm. I guess a mixed blessing in the sense that it's a it's a little pressure, but at the same time, do you feel it's a bit arbitrary because you, I don't your films and his films feel quite different in a lot of ways? Yeah, but I think that the thing that I really appreciate about what he, about what he said about my films is he. It's it's nice when people like my films, but he said something better about my second film together, mm. and actually that he didn't like it that much. <laughs> he, <laughs> he didn't feel like it was the, as good as the first one. Uh, so he said that something like, "But that's okay. Now he just has to work." And I think that's sort of like my motto: that you know, it doesn't matter if it turns out to be fantastic or if it's a failure. You just have to continue to work. So I even have that, that motto from him on my door. Do you? Yeah, or my office door, yes. Just keep working. Yeah, now he just has to keep keep working. Oh, um, speaking of which, do you have a thought yet? Have you found inspiration? Because I know that you find inspiration in strange places as well as, mm-hmm. you know, your wife's work. Mm-hmm. Do you have an inspiration for your next project at this point or is it too early to say? <laughs> Yeah, but you, that's real dangerous to answer. <laughs> but um, but if I'm pretending that no one is listening to this, then I could tell you that I'm I'm very interested in in, in old ladies. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Well, not. It sounds. No, like no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like a sort of Harold and Moore type of old lady scenario, or no. Okay. Couldn't tell you more because then I would kill the idea. But uh, okay. maybe an old lady. 
Okay. Mysterious. And would it, would it, could you tell us whether it would be um, English, another English language, or would it be Swedish potentially? No, I feel very much at home in my language, in, yeah. in Swedish language, and 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 uh, I love Sweden actually. Fair enough. Got one final final question. I know that you're you have three kids, mm-hmm. um, and you love doing Lego with them. Oh, they're too, no, yeah, but they're they're too old for that. They've, now. they've outgrown Lego. Yeah, uh-huh. but we're like we haven't outgrown Lego, and we're sort of we're really old. Yeah, but I, maybe it comes back comes back later. But my oldest son is eighteen. Oh, and you, you don't play you're with that, Lego. Okay, when you're <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that ruined my question about which one of your movies you want to have a Lego set for. Oh, but I would really love that. That I would really love that. But together would make a nice Lego set. That would be, it? yeah, that would be. Little, yeah, and this one too. We are the, the van. We and are the, the best. Would be really yeah, nice. Yeah, I think the punk haircuts would be great. Yeah, and the guitars and the drums mm. and the uh, rehearsing place <sighs> and the gym, the gym with the benches, the, the fish, the fish fingers that Bobo eat when she's alone. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. It's been a real pleasure. Lucas Thank Medicine. Thank you. Thank you. Let's make Lego fish fingers That's happen. That's such a great idea. Yeah. I really love it. As soon as you see them in your mind's eye, you go, yeah, yeah someone's got to make that. Lego fish fingers. Time now for some lovely, lovely movie news. So what do we have? I have some X-Men news. In fact, I have several bits of X-Men news. Um, so let's start there, I think. First of all, there was a new trailer this week, which I highly recommend watching for my money. It is the best one so far, and it has a lot more Sentinel action than we have seen in any trailers to date, which means that those special effects are coming along nicely. So um, do check that out. It's on the website and indeed all over the internet. Yeah. Um, also good news for True Blood fan, fans and also Anna Paquin fans of whatever stripe. She apparently will appear in Days of Future Past after all, yeah. albeit in a blink and you'll miss it cameo by, you know, the looks of it. Um, she is going to be there. It's just going to be a very, very brief appearance. So do look out for her. Uh, that is happening. Also, this is the perhaps slightly more interesting and less expected uh, news. There is an X-Men Days of Future Past clip showing after The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Certainly in some cinemas, we haven't been able to establish yet which cinemas or if it's only some showings, um, but it is basically uh, a clip featuring Mystique which shows after Spider-Man 2. Now, why is this the case, given that they, the, the two films come from competing studios and have you know, no obvious connections? Well, apparently, rather boringly, it's all down to contract negotiations over Mark Webb, uh, who's, of course, the Spider-Man director. He was contracted to Fox following his 500 Days of Summer. And as part of his contract re- uh, negotiations to release him, to enable him to do The Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, Sony agreed to put this advert for Fox's X-Men film onto the end of their movie. Yeah. So it's not a credit sting in the way that we've seen with the with the Marvel movies. This does not set up a unified universe. It isn't a crossover with Spidey and the X-Men, which is a damn shame, if you ask me. However, it is an interesting step. I mean, this has been attempted in the past. There were some negotiations uh, before Avengers about putting the Oscorp tower in the New York skyline of that movie. That didn't happen. That didn't pay off. Now, this is obviously not what we would want in that respect this is not you know the studios all coming together and and letting their characters play together but you know maybe it's a sign of things to come and in that case it wouldn't be so bad I see this as a ridiculously bad idea certainly uh, uh, certainly for Fox it's a bad idea and it's really confusing for audiences we're getting so many people going why is there an X-Men thing that has nothing to do with Spider-Man at the end, at the end of the at the end of the movie, why not just put it at the beginning of the movie? It, it's just it seems distracting to me. Most audiences now are conditioned to sit through one of these movies, a superhero movie in particular, 
and expect something at the uh, at the at the end of the the main credit sequence before the roller begins. And if it pops up and it's an advert for an entirely different movie, I'd feel a a little bit cheated, b a bit confused, and c maybe even a little bit angry. Uh, I want something that pertains to the film I've just seen, not something that's. that's well, are you viewing it as just a trailer that's on the end? Yeah. Mm, I but see what not, you're saying. It, that's the thing. It's not even a trailer. It's an unrelated clip that, as far as I'm aware, plays with absolutely no context at all. It's great for Fox in a way because they're getting uh, word of mouth out about their movie on another studio's uh, another studio's film. But uh, but for audiences, not so much. Uh, okay, so let's move on. What's next? Three sequel stories just to touch on, and we can talk about them obviously afterwards. Channing Tatum has confirmed that Magic Mike Two will be coming out in. 2015, the big year 2015. It's going to be coming out in July, so look forward to that. Who's going to direct? It's a guy called Greg Jacobs who was a first assistant director for Steven Soderbergh on quite a few of his films. So it would seem like a passing of the torch, perhaps, to a, to a kind of trusted collaborator. Do we know this guy is actually a real person and not one of Steven Soderbergh's many aliases? First of all, um, well, there is a there's a p- picture on IMDb of a handsome man with a beard, so I'm assuming that he's, he's a, a real Joe person. Manganiello, isn't he? He is, isn't he? Yes. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just like looking in a mirror for a Manginello, I imagine. Probably. I imagine. Maybe given how enormously tall he is, like looking down a foot into a mirror. I don't know how tall Gregory Jacobs is. Very tall. Really tall. I'm guessing from that picture that you've called up on your screen. Awesome. And it's called Magic Mike XXL, which I think is the... uh, Ingenious. Very, very good. Other sequel news is that, yes, there will be a Puss in Boots 2. I actually thought this was already announced as far as as far as I'm concerned. I thought this I thought was come out. I thought, I thought this was a done deal. I was lucky enough to be in DreamWorks a couple of months ago, and I saw some of the concept art for this film. It's Ooh. I cannot reveal too much for obvious reasons, but Antonio Banderas does say that they're taking the spaghetti western idea and they're putting it in a new land, an entirely new land. And he is right; it is not necessarily where you'd expect that cat to go. But think Kitty Litter Trays, and that's an oblique reference, even though it's not really. Plymouth. Are they uh, Are they going to call this one Puss in Boots XXL? No, they're, <laughs> they're not. They're, they're not. They that's probably not for the best. Yeah, maybe. The other sequel news is that Mrs. Doubtfire is apparently <sighs> in the works to... <laughs> to oh, to is this Mrs. Doubtfire XXL? Yes. Oh. <laughs> it's going to re-emerge uh, with a latex mask and... All sorts. I can only think of Mrs. Featherbottom. I can only think of Arrested <laughs> Development. I can only think of who wants a banger in the mouth? <laughs> and, then, and then them saying, we call them a sausage over here. Who wants a sausage in the mouth? Does he actually need latex anymore? Or just, I mean, with the greatest oh. world in the world. He's a lo- no, I mean, in, in a nice <laughs> way. He's he's now about the age that Mrs. Doubtfire was meant to be. So I maybe see, all he needs is a good shave. I want to see an entirely CGI Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean he? I mean Robin Williams. What? No spoilers, but that is revealed in the film. That, that's kind what? of the premise of the film, Chris. What if you? What if I've only seen a Mrs. Daffire only cut of that movie? <laughs> <laughs> when we were in Cannes once, we were in Cannes last year. Yeah, Chris and I were sitting down. A Mrs. Doubtfire impersonator, and by the way, Mrs. Doubtfire in France is called Madame Dutfire. Mm-hmm. So she just strolled up and was just walking around a restaurant that we were eating in, just talking to people. wasn't asking for money. It wasn't begging. It was just an eccentric man dressed as an older lady. Yeah. The magic of Mrs. Doubtfire is still alive, and that is proof. And also Good. proof is the fact that I've seen it twice in the last month. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not proud of it, but. 
it is it is an enjoyable film. I like it. It's an enjoyable film. I mean, the new Blu-ray may have the worst animated menu you will ever see. Oh wow! It's essentially uh, stick figures with uh, Pierce Brosnan and Robin Williams's face pasted onto them. It's it's a horror show. I think you've but, just given people a reason to buy Blu-rays again. Yes, exactly. Take that, Fod. Um, I think it's a I think it's a fun movie. And uh, Piss Brosnan's quite good in it. As He's well. excellent in it. As Stuart. I spoke awesome. to Piss Brosnan for this, you know, career piece that I did maybe last year. And he talks about Madame Dutfier uh, with great fondness. And actually, if they do do a sequel, and it's still not confirmed that they will, I really hope that they have a scene where he shouts, It's a drive by fruiting! <laughs> but they won't. Are well, they waiting not. for the uh, the Mrs. Brown's Boys the movie to come out to see how <laughs> successful that is before they tackle this one? Is that the idea? I can't imagine that's what's holding them up. Um, this, this has obviously been discussed before. Back when the f- first film came out, there was serious talk of a sequel pretty quickly, and it went on for years, and then it died. So I don't want to call this the Ghostbusters 3 of cross-dressing sequels, but, you know... It is one of those ones I'm slightly filing under. I'll believe it when I see it. It was 1993 when this film came out. And there was a script written in 2001 for the sequel and it got redone in 2004, 10 years after the fact. 93. 93. Feel old. I swear in Hollywood someone's just got a big list of films that came out in the early 90s. He's just ticking them off one by one. Right, we'll reboot that, we'll remake that. If if they reboot Cool Runnings, I'm going to slaughter people. It'll happen. Cooler Runnings. Doubtfire 2 will come out in, say, 2016 and then the third Mrs. Doubtfire film will obviously split into two because there's too much story to handle. So we'll have the the third and fourth film in 2017. The Desolation of Stuart. <laughs> the Desolation of Stuart. <laughs> I, I've got a couple of stories. Shall I kick them out there? Yeah, The, why the not? week's big news, um, yeah. I'm surprised we haven't got around to this yet, is obviously the Star Wars news, the revelation uh, that there will be something round in the film um, because there's been an, a, a, the first set photo from Abu Dhabi where they've started filming and something uh, metallic and round has been sighted. What? So what do you guys make of that? Wow. I mean, it could be some kind of man-made structure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be some kind of alien creature that mm. just happens to have like a metallic round mm. skin. It could be a table. It could be a table. Be a I mean, it could be like a Knights of the Round metallic wow. table. So you're saying there could thing. be space knights? There could be space knights. We'll wow. call them kind of Jedi. Yeah. What sort yeah. of swords would they have in space? Uh, that just doesn't sound realistic. <laughs> Long sabers? Okay. Laser sword? Oh, yeah. That sounds wow. good. This is really coming together. So I, I, I did see somebody speculating online that it might be the foot of a, an Atat. I think people have gone a bit mental, haven't they? Can you say that on a podcast? I'm not sure. No, you can. Uh, um, so that's big. <laughs> What next? Something square, possibly? <laughs> Something tubular? Well, we still haven't had any actors confirmed. Unless they're inside this large round. <laughs> yeah. They're being this wheeled around. Transport. To, you realise it's, it's, instead of it being a Trojan horse, it's a Trojan atat, where they just push an atat into a tent, a massive tent, and outpour out a variety of actors. <laughs> So uh, and I've got something else which is slightly more concrete, which is that Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are teaming up again uh, for Adam McKay in a movie called Border Guards. It's not a big shock that those guys are getting back together. But uh, yeah, the concept is that the, the two, Ferrell and Riley, become guards on the border between America and Mexico. And then due to wacky a wacky mix-up, they end up in Mexico without any identification, so they have to sneak across the furry border that they're hired <gasps> to patrol. High um, concept. It's high concept. Uh, I am in, frankly, because I am always raving about Step Brothers. I think Anchorman's funny, but for me, Step Brothers is funnier. I love the, those three guys together, and um, I'm in. And this is an original property, and I'm conscious of the fact that in our news story, sometimes it can be a bit like, here's the reboot, sequels, and superhero update, uh, but that is new. Mm. In its own sweet way, that is new. Awesome. Is that the movie news? 
One more thing, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's not worth going into at any great length. Uh, following Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, there's n- more fire news uh, this morning. <laughs> Sorry. Good so, link. Uh, thank I you. love that thank segue. You. Just call back, yeah. Third Hobbit movie is currently titled There and Back Again, but there are currently rumours that they may be rethinking that title, that they may be ditching tradition and H- Tolkien's own subtitle for the book in favour of something a bit, you know, more... Actiony, and the current rumor has it that Into the Fire could be the new name of The Hobbit Part Three. Now, actually, like if we're talking about the books, that is obviously a phrase that does occur. It's a chapter heading out of the frying pan into the fire, but that's about an incident that happens at the end of the first movie, so it's a little bit out of time. Um, but I guess it would somewhat fit with everything that happens in the third film. I mean, I don't know. If you were going to retitle the film, I would have called it maybe Battle of the Five Armies or something Which quite was registered, um, actually, by Warner Brothers Indeed, a while so back. It's still going to be called The Hobbit, though, right? It's not called, yeah, it's the it's Hobbit, not called there and Back Again something, something. Okay. Yeah. Or Iron Man 4. They're not going to call it that. Probably not, although that would probably sell. That would sell, I think. Uh, Into the Fire, as Bruce Springsteen fans all know, of course, is track two on his seminal 2002 album, The Rising. Uh, so uh, I'm guessing Peter Jackson's a, a Springsteen fan. He Probably. could have gone for The Hobbit, Let's Be Friends, brackets, skin to skin, or my personal favourite, The Hobbit, My City of Ruins. And I think that one fits. Kind of does. That one fits. Yeah. The That's Hobbit Part 3, skin to skin. <laughs> the Hobbit. <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it it's, doesn't... it's genuinely called The Nobbit. Yeah. No. Really? Yeah, there is a porn parody really? of The Hobbit called The Nobbit. Tell me he's dildoed Baggins. I do not know any more details than what I saw as the headline of a news story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe a word you're saying, my friend. So what's the... I'm just interested. I'm asking for a friend. What's it called again? The Nobbit. The Nobbit. Okay. Is it 3D? (laughs) Oh, God. In in a fashion. (laughs) All right. Let's move on now to our second and third interviews smudged together. It's a double whammy of spidery goodness. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 opened here in the UK on Wednesday but doesn't open in the States suck at Johnny Yank until May 2nd which is why our usual spoiler special podcast will be held back until May 5th in order to be fair to our American cousins I take back that suck at Johnny Yank thing uh, that spoiler podcast will feature the film's director Mark Webb and producers Avi Arad and Matt Tomac dishing as best as they can on pretty much all the major plot points of the web-slinging sequel. But until then, enjoy this double bill of non-spoiler interviews with them. You'll hear Arad and Tomac first, and they were talking to me and Helen, and then you're going to hear Mark Webb, who was talking to Helen and Ali Plum. And yes, at some point, we do talk about Spider-Man Underpants. Just just roll with it. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by the producers of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Matt Tomac and Avi Arad. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good to be back. Oh, thank you. It's good to, good to have you back. Uh, Avi, you are dressed like a Spider-Man billboard at the moment. You have a Spider-Man beanie cap on, you have a t-shirt. Matt, you are very well dressed in a suit. Why do this you is not a suit, by the way. Well, it's a, kind of, it's a jacket. It's casual suit, cardigan. Chic, yeah, it's I'd very like nice. It's smart cash. We like Thank to have you. smart cash in Thank the pod booth. Do you have anything Spider-Man on at the moment? Or, or why do you... Where's I have your ring. I give you yeah. a ring. My ring is in the suitcase. Oh, sure. It's a little big. <laughs> the dog ate my homework. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I have Spider-Man in my soul. I, <laughs> I am my the Spider-Man is actually coming out of my pores right yeah, now. Yeah. And the other thing is, if Avi and I and and we've done this, if Avi and I are both wearing Spider-Man gear, yeah. Then you're like rolling your eyes and saying like, oh, these guys, the marketing guys dress them up like billboards. Yeah. Yeah. So Avi gets, Avi gets the swag. <laughs> I get $10 and my, a day. And my son wears all mine. <laughs> you and I know each other forever. 
Yeah. So you know that I always, I mean, almost to a ridiculous level, mm-hmm. wore Marvel Blink. Yeah, I mean, that's... Absolutely. The main reason was that I got it for free, so I haven't. <laughs> it is the I, truth. I haven't. It is. I haven't truth. gone shopping forever. That is Chris as well. Chris you just see? wears movie T-shirts. Ah, yeah. that that's a whole reason to Pretty be in this highly visual, exciting business. <laughs> and it, you know what? It's it was always a way of life yeah. for me. I don't know. I was defined by Marvel. I never thought I'd make a living at it. I yeah. said, okay, at least I have something I love. Uh, and long and behold, the world fell for this, and uh, and the rest is history. It looks but good. I think it looks also. There is another thing that I have to admit. I love this jacket, but uh, at my weight class, uh, <laughs> I don't think they make that. I want you to try this jacket on. I just sure, it, I'll tear it <laughs> just by putting it on. That's so. no, nice, but you know, uh, not not to pry too you know too yeah, deeply. But go Spider-Man boxer shorts. Spider-Man briefs. Uh, everything. Yeah. I have... Oh, you mean on right now? On oh, right now, yeah. No. I, as, I, again, as I said, I right now I'm just dressed like any other civilian. Like a, Chris, we've discussed you asking about visitors' pants before. Please. You can ask it, about my underwear anytime. It's, it's my thing. I'm it's not, my thing. I have to jump in. We are in Singapore, right? And this waiter... Uh, that let us into this club oh, area, yeah, whatever. The, uh, you have to belong to the club. It's like the pool, uh, top of the world, and so on. And he comes over. He wants to take a picture. He wants an autograph. And then he opens his pants. And it's Singapore. I didn't mm-hmm. think they'd do that. Uh, and and he shows me his uh, Spider-Man skivvies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the power of Spider-Man. <laughs> it's a Are you interested in whether I'm wearing Spider-Man underwear? Or you, do you just want to know if that was like the boxers or briefs thing? That's what you're trying to get to. Well, yeah, that's, that's clearly. I'm, boxers. I, as you know, I'm, boxers. A, I'm a hard-hitting journalist. Yeah, no. I, I like I, to, I, and you were very <laughs> subtle about the way you, you got yeah, to it. Uh, it's the questions that matter. That's the, the only question I'm, I ask. And I'm not shy. <laughs> I'm not shy. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 2 is... Yeah. Uh, how, how big a challenge was it to get this one? Because th- th- there were two years pretty much between this movie and the last movie. Yeah. Uh, was that a tough challenge for you getting something off the ground this quickly? I mean, this this big as well. It, it was, yeah. I mean, these movies, big movies like this are really hard to make. Um, at the same time, there was never a moment where we weren't doing it or that we were doubting it. Um, the truth is we were plotting this movie while we were sitting here talking exactly. to you on the last movie. Um, and plotting it on a lot of levels. Plotting who was going to write it. Um you know, we, I think, you know, we spent a lot of time talking to you and to a lot of people about an obligation we had in the last movie to tell the origin story because, mm. you know, here we were introducing a new, you know, a new filmmaker, but a new Peter Parker, most importantly, and we felt we had to start at the beginning and all of the, the stuff that comes with having to tell the origin story and how it limits to a certain degree how far you can actually go with Spider-Man. And so okay. we knew then the next movie was going to be about Spider-Man. If the first movie was about sort of becoming Spider-Man, this movie is about being Spider-Man mm. and all the things that Peter Parker has to contend with. First and foremost, loving being Spider-Man. It's not about being conflicted about being Spider-Man at the beginning. It's about I am Spider-Man and it's awesome and I'm good at it. Does does it become really complicated for him? Forget it. It becomes ridiculously complicated. Mm. The risks are so enormous. The jeopardy for people in his world are so enormous. We knew where we wanted to go then, and we just we had a lot to do to build it. 
we also had, uh, in all fairness, we've been doing it now for 14 years. Mm. So for us, I think we are uniquely qualified to make these giant movies. If if someone went into it, never done this size movie, this size effects, mm. uh, it would have been overwhelming yeah, mm. and probably wouldn't come out as well. Uh, we also have a major advantage with with Sony Digital. Uh, you know, you walk from your office downstairs across the road, <laughs> and you are yeah. seeing progress. Yeah, uh, the talent on the movie, the technical talent, which is incredibly important in movies like that. Yeah, yeah we knew that one Andrew uh, is is a one in a generation. It's mm. a very unique actor. Uh, we knew that Webb is a relationship guy. Mm. Uh, we had the best producers in the business. <laughs> That's us. Uh, a, great, a great writing team. And, and we had to be, in a way, very focused, not to listen too much. This is what we had to do. This was the release date. But, I don't know, we, we did yeah, and we, four Spider-Man movies before that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so when you were... You know how to build to them. You know how to build them. Uh, you know, the thing that, that, that Alex Kurtzman and Jeff Pinkner and Bob Orsi did for us was also a huge part of making it possible. They they gave us a script. You know, every script goes through changes and rewrites and tweaks and all that, but they gave us a script right away that was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, you know, you have the wind at your back when that happens, yeah. and, that's, and that's really rare. Uh, how much input as well, though, to the character of Peter and, and Spidey does Andrew get? Because I get the sense that mm-hmm. this is a guy who's been in love with this character for as long as, you know, his entire his life, whole pretty life. much. Yeah. yeah, He does wear Spidey briefs. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and, um, uh, and he seems to be someone who can probably improvise mm-hmm. in both characters. So how much input does he get into what a lot, does? Yeah. A lot. I mean, he, you know, again, in this specific movie, he was so in love with the script when he got it that it liberated him um, to be able to really just embellish you know for, so it was sort of a dream for him to be able to give him this story that he that he utterly believed in and then then just imbue the character with the stuff that that he's so brilliant about and he's a very very serious and intense actor he's hilarious and 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 loves to sort of play mm. um but he likes to also get under the skin of of peter parker and of spider-man um and and that's a that's a real part of the process. And he spent a lot of time with Mark um, and the writers, frankly, um, really trying to you know he's the great thing about Andrew is he questions everything in in the most honest and and genuine way. He wants to believe what's happening. He wants to. Mm. He so loves this character that he kind of has this great BS detector <laughs> for a moment mm-hmm. that feels. You know, inauthentically, Peter Parker or Spider-Man. A Spidey sense, if you will. He has a Spidey sense about <laughs> Spidey. and um, I think in movie one, uh, listen, it was his first giant movie. Yeah. And yeah. it's a huge responsibility to become the next Spider-Man. So I think he had to hold back. It's just human nature. And this one, he came in, he was, that was him. He was part of the team. He... He was comfortable with comedy because he understood any sense of timing, by the way. Mm. I mean, he's shockingly funny. Mm. What I mean shockingly, because if you meet him, he's more serious and Mm. charming. 
It's fantastic. Some of the physical comedy that actually he brought this guy from from England. He brought a guy um, named Cal, who's a a sort of a I don't want to say um, slapstick director. slapstick clown. And you yeah. know he, he does that. That's what he does. And there's a I, well, you've seen the movie. There's a mm. there's a moment in the movie, the elevator bank sequence, yes. that was shot. I mean, it was all shot in one. You know, it was all literally choreographed so yeah. that you went from one practical stunt. To another, so uh, that's another side of Andrew. Is he's he's super intense. He's so you know he's mm. he's funny, but he's also a great physical comedian, and and he really wanted to bring that out. The, you know, the comedy on this movie was also a big part of what we wanted to do. We we it's put together to do. we put together a roundtable, um, a comedy roundtable, which you know you sometimes do on movies uh, of people who love Spider Man and who are funny to just go through the script and find jokes. And, and and moments um, because you know you've got Andrew and and Emma who's hilarious and Jamie Fox and 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 you know Paul Giamatti um, you better mind that mm. and and so we had this kind of dream team of really funny talented people even Dane uh, became funny he did <laughs> like, yeah Sally Field Sally is awesome she's amazing G- Giamatti is amazing in this film isn't he great because he starts yeah. at eleven. Yeah. So for future installments, and he should finishes it be, at twelve. He finishes, like, I don't know where he finishes. It's a slim range. <laughs> He's like he goes from eleven to twelve. <laughs> where is there left to go for him? I mean, there's, is there any scenery left in, oh, in New yes. York? This guy is astonishing. He oh, just wind him up and let him go. He's brilliant, and he yeah. had so much fun on the movie. That's you know, what he was, always wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We well, he had said it on a talk show. We read about yeah. the talk show. Yeah. It just the movie wanted that, you know. That like it, it, we have. There's plenty of intensity Scared with with the people. with the villains, but <laughs> like, why not? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it's the Rhino. It's not the most complex of 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 Marvel villains, um, and I think he immediately got that. Yeah, you know that he is just pandemonium in yeah. the streets and yeah. uh it was awesome to see him do it he was you know he's such an unbelievable actor and he was just completely committed to this insane character walking around in this russian you know sort of uh mobster tracksuit. you know it was it was really wild it was I great i kill you a spider yeah, and all yeah, that. So, yeah, yeah amazing yeah. does he wear good, rhino briefs way. or rhino boxers do you think exclusively <laughs> he signed a deal with Reiner, Rhino Briefs. <laughs> He's fully that's dedicated. A, that's a company. Uh, so, uh, will other actors now see this as a way in to the, the Spider Universe if they go on talk shows and go, I've long been a fan of the Scorpion. Yes, maybe that's what that's, they should do. That's what they, they should do. Yeah, yeah, they should start doing that now. Because <laughs> we sit up and watch late night television. That's how we cast our movies. That's what we be, do. Be careful what you wish for. That's right. Uh, but there's, there's a, as you said, there's a lot of humor in the film and without going into spoilers because it's very, very early in the film, but Spider-Man, yeah. Peter, has as his ringtone a very famous mm-hmm. theme tune. Yeah. Where did that come from? Whose idea was that? Actually, the idea came from Andrew. That was that was that was Garfield. Garfield and <laughs> yeah. Webb. Garfield and Webb. I, together. It, it was Garfield who asked, "Do we have the rights for it?" Yeah. It and did you? Huh? Yeah. Did you? Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, lucky. Hopefully, because it's in the movie. So <laughs> the Sony lawyers are, are scrambling. <laughs> well, it doesn't come out for another it, four, four right, or five we, days. We should be fine. Uh, right? the, for years, we tried to get the sound from this family in New Jersey. Uh, it took forever. And, and it's always like it has no value until you ask for it. Yeah. All of a sudden, it becomes this is a holy grail. You know? <laughs> but it. it when, well, if you saw it with people, you see they laugh. Oh, yeah, they hear this. 
Welcome to the Empire Podcast. We're joined today by Mark Webb. Hello. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Excellent. And The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is looking like it's going to be a very big hit. Oh, really? I think so. Well, you know, it kind of has those signs How do you? How, what are the signs that you uh, <laughs> I think it's putting on, you on the spot? On every single bus that I go past for a start. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about it on Twitter as well, uh, which, okay, as we yeah. know, is very important. Yes, it is. <laughs> I've got to begin with a very important question, which yes. I'm sure no one has asked you before. Uh-huh. So Bing is out. Gmail is in. It is. Well, Google is in. There was such a backlash to the Bing uh, the Bing uh, backlash. The Bing backlash that uh, we had to embrace Google this time around. You know, I, I don't remember where that decision came from. It was just, I, I think uh, uh, Google seemed so ominous and so large that we wanted to be anti and, and people just didn't buy it. Google was a bit Oscorp. You didn't want to be too Oscorp. Yeah, exactly. Be, uh-huh. What it should have been is Alta Vista, but you know. You <laughs> Do you use Alta Vista? All the time. That and really? yeah. Oh, good for you, man. That's impressive. So techy. So techy, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, so apart from deciding which search engine for Peter Parker to use, what was the biggest challenge this time? Like when you sat down and you started planning it all those many, many moons ago. Right. Um, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of uh, challenges. I think that the, you know, we're trying to the, broaden the scope of the movie, you know, and, and make it uh, a really big, spectacular event for, for the audience to enjoy. Um, I think there was, you know, you're, you're trying to continue the story of Peter Parker and give people new things to engage in and new characters to engage in, new storylines to engage in without undermining the iconic elements that people love. And I mean, there's just uh, there are logistical demands because we were shooting in New York, which was is the biggest movie ever shot in New York, and that was a a, a real challenge from the get go. Uh, as uh, big movies are hard in that way always, but because it was in New York, it was a little tricky. But it ended up being really great. And uh, what, speaking of iconic things mm-hmm. that are part of the Spider-Man ethos or mythos rather is mm-hmm. the quips. Uh-huh. Is you know I, I've played enough Spider-Man games that they kind of circle around my head because you hear them over and over. Yeah. But in this film, the, notably, you had yeah. so many more. Yeah. Like, was it fun to really unleash that because he's so much more confident as himself? As, yeah. As well, those character. like quips come from an element of his character, which is well, of confidence is one part of it, and then it's also he's trying to un, he's trying to throw the villains off balance. Like, and there's that opening sequence where there's a uh, you know the, where he's uh, trying to stop Alexei Sestevich, and you know Spider-Man is always trying to come at these villains and his situations from the side he's not he doesn't come and just knock people out he goes to the side of the car and like he starts to talk to him you know and like does things in a way that is uh uh, he's more like a trickster you know what i mean and and that quip is such the the, i think which is why you love the comics why people love the comics so much is he had this teenage sensibility and that was something that we really you know we introduced it i think in the last movie but really wanted to embrace it and like start off with a fun playful version of what spider-man is I would love to know what was too off color. Sorry to not make it like somebody just going, oh, wait, no, you that's know, not going to go. We in. had, I'll, I got to be honest, there was one moment where uh, in, during one of the battles with Electro where uh, Spider-Man gets decimated by a huge, you know, um, Electro blow and he collapses to the ground. And like Andrew, like when we were doing the stunt, like he just, he's, he was like, oh, shit. And like it was like it killed, but we just couldn't have that. You know, it's like there's kids and like, yeah, they, they, we, we didn't want to alienate, you know, parents. and But it was a really funny moment. Um, but but you do have to protect some some people when you're yeah. when you're when you're doing that. So there was no there. There was one profanity that we cut out. It would be amazing if he did any English, you know, he said, oh, bugger, bugger. <laughs>
Whoops. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm out of character. Oh. He also got some physical comedy this time. Yeah. He worked with a clown, I believe. Well, there's once. a guy named Cal McChrystal, who's a who's a Brit, um, who Andrew had heard about. And we brought in, and he sort of helped consult and choreograph some of these sequences. There's a sequence where uh, Peter Parker, it's not a Spider-Man thing, but it's where Peter Parker is trying to, like, you know, detain some of uh gwen stacy's pursuers uh and he just gets in this he plays this the he's basically playing dumb and like uh knocks over all these guys in a very funny playful way and it was it's it's interesting because it's that kind of choreography as playful as it is is really difficult we had to do like 17 takes because it was like one long thing and him he's spilling coffee here and tripping somebody here and all all the while pretending not to do anything we did a little bit out of the first movie. Like there's this uh, subway sequence where he's kind of playfully, uh, un- like unintentionally knocking all these people out. And it was really fun. And it's it, it, it takes a lot of time to shoot, but the payoff is quite, I think, quite good. Yeah. You know, um, but that's like action movies. Um, it's kind of the only place where you can do physical comedy or you can really embrace physical comedy. Like comedies do it occasionally, but th- there's something, it's a, it's a rare thing. Because they used to do it like, you know, Buster Keaton, this is it. Charlie yeah. Chaplin, Harold Lloyd. They did these they were really exceptional, extraordinary virtuosos, physical, physically adept uh, uh, people. And they built the whole universe around it. It came from the vaudeville uh, era, of course. And, and that level of skill... It doesn't exist anymore. No. It's, people don't practice it. You as get much. tiny little bits here and there. You got, you know, Johnny Depp did a bit in Benny and June, and yeah. you had Jackie Chan doing a bit, and I think Shanghai Nights. Yeah, but you, we don't have that anymore. Well, Jackie Chan, like, so there's some like the 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 there's a lot of Chinese opera stuff that is really exceptional where they do play around with that, but it, it's that there is a sometimes there's a kung fu or like a you know a martial arts component to it. Yeah, but it's it's rare i think there's a huge opportunity there and something that people i, I talked about this on the comic-con panel a little bit um there is like like I, on 500 days of summer i remember when i showed the the movie the first time at sundance um there is this there's a big dance sequence and it was kind of it's a weird kind of thing to have in a movie uh that's not a musical uh but people enjoy that kind of thing in a way it's not laughter but it's not like crying it's not like some cathartic experience but there is some thing that people love and really resonates with people when they see acts of physical virtuosity you know and expression and when people it's what it can be a fight or it can be a dance and physical comedy is one part of that but it doesn't you just don't see it very much like people love slapstick and the more complicated and nuanced it gets the more they enjoy it you know and we got to dabble in that i think in just a just bits and bits and pieces here but i think it's the audience so far has really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. If I'm reading you right, what you're saying is for the sequel, he'll be singing a song? <laughs> yes, he'll be singing a song. He'll be doing a, a soft shoe. Nice. Yeah, he has a cane and a top hat. It's going to be killer. <laughs> a Michael Jackson experience. As we get to the reviews section of the pod, we should obviously start with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I'm sure most of you who listen to this have already seen. But anyway, nevertheless, what are our thoughts on this one? The Amazing Spider-Helen, go. Thank you. Um, I will keep it non-spoilery, obviously. I think a better film than the first one. It's a, a good bit more fun than the first one. You've got Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone still being utterly, improbably, impossibly adorable as Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, particularly when they're on screen together. These two are the human equivalent of a Labrador puppy. I mean, they're absolutely lovely. And and that kind of helps the film along enormously. You also have new villains uh, in the shape of Jamie Foxx's really downtrodden 
put upon Max mm. Dillon, who is just this incredibly tragic figure that you just want to get help, and instead I, I he falls into him. a yeah, and instead mm. he falls into a vat of electric eels and gets these <laughs> when you unfortunate put it like that. superpowers, <laughs> which is kind of the opposite of a hug, as mm. life experience goes. Uh, which is unless sad. you're an eel, another eel. Unless you're another eel, in which case, hurrah! Uh, he is obviously uh, he he kind of meets Spider-Man early on in the film, thinks they've formed a bond, and is, is devastated when Spider-Man then proves unable to help him deal with all of this stuff that he's going through and he goes rather swiftly to the bad. Also a new character is Dane DeHaan's Harry Osborn who comes back mm-hmm. from, you know, mm-hmm. uh, boarding school. He's, it turns out he's an old friend of Peter's and he comes back to sit at the essentially the deathbed of his father Norman, who's played by Chris Cooper, and then to take over his father's company. And you know, any of you who've seen the previous films or read the comics knows that Probably some bad stuff is in store for Harry as well. Frankly, if you've seen the trailer for this film, <laughs> what, you will trailer? also know that one of the many trailers for or this film. clip number 900. Yes. Uh, then you will also know what's in store for Harry in this one. So it's a much more complicated plot, which means it's a much longer running time because it, it, in fairness to Mark Webb, he hasn't ditched all of the character stuff to fit in all of these bad guys, to fit in all of this action. I think in that respect, you know, he's... he's He's somewhat taken the right approach because if you're going to set all of this stuff up, you need to give a little bit of room for everybody to still breathe around the edges. If you're going to have a lot of bad guys and a lot of plot happening, you still need to fit in moments of character stuff. There's a lovely bit with uh, Aunt May and uh, Peter Parker discussing washing clothes. Um, he's trying to sneak his spider suit into the into the washing machine without her seeing um, and it's it's actually a nice little scene. It's quite a funny little moment. Uh, there's bits with uh, Spider-Man's graduation because it starts with him graduating from high school. So there are, there are still the little kind of character beats that, that clearly are important to Webb. But then they've also got a heck of a lot of story to, to service. So this is a long film. This is a two-hour, 20-minute film. Um, but, you know, it does keep motoring along for the most part. I've got a few niggles, but generally speaking, you know, not yeah, bad. Yeah, it does the job. I don't feel like it's in any way a perfect film at all there are a few moments where you just go what why but what makes it work for me is is the two of them Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield that really does work I also enjoyed how we discussed this in the interview that they've updated the the niggles that people had with the first film people didn't like the way they did the web the web swinging they didn't like the POV they called it like a, a bad video game I really think they got that right now. They changed the camera angles a lot. I felt the CGI was better done. Uh, he doesn't use Bing anymore. He uses Gmail. <laughs> this is important. And what was the other thing that they do that was I was quite pleased with? Um, Gwen Stacy's coats. Music. Spider-Man. See, he's in the film. Gwen Stacy's coats are wonderful. I mean, I was genuinely really impressed by that. Like mm. yellow cream she looks wonderful you will fall in love with Emma Stone if you haven't already you will fall in love with her again I agree with you that they're both good they work very well together I preferred this to the first film which I really really disliked and I thought this one was quite a bit better I still uh, didn't think that the villains were particularly effective I thought Dane DeHaan was good when he got going but that was quite near the end of a two and a half hour film Electro looks fantastic I think the effects are amazing um, on the big screen uh, but I think the character itself is perhaps not so good. He's basically Dwayne Dibley uh, from Red, <laughs> Red Dwarf. He literally is. He's got the comb over. You guys were saying it's a tragic thing. I mean, honestly, it's the way people forget his birthday, and that's why he's really angry in this film. I thought he turned into a bit of a generic bad guy. The tone hops around. Yeah. It really does. Like, it will be... 
It's funny because I love it, actually. It, it, on, on its own measurement, I really like the in-depth emotional connection between these two and how it's really serious and things are important. But then when he's swinging around the city, he's doing all the quips. At one point, he refers to Electro as Sparkles. That's his nickname. And it totally ups the quip factor because mm. in the first film, there's that one quip where this thug, street thug, comes up to Spider-Man and he goes, oh, you got my one weakness, small knives, and then just slings his knives out of his hand here they just up the quips exponentially anyway so he go he calls him sparkles and at one moment later on in the film guess what they come to blows electro and spider-man electro says and this kind of sets the tone for the for the uh, dialogue sometimes something along the lines of i will join the pantheon of the gods or i will become a god and then in this really tense scene when you're really like genuinely oh what's going to happen spider-man then goes a god called sparkles Electro also says, it's my birthday, I'm going to light some candles, and then proceeds to uh, blow stuff up. I, so that there, there is stuff about it that's a bit dodgy. The, the action is pretty great, I thought. The time, there's a huge uh, set piece in Times Square, which, uh, which I really, really liked. And I thought all the Green Goblin stuff at the end was very well executed. Yeah, the action is, is better, significantly. Uh, and the lizard it was, is a poorer bad guy compared to these two yeah well the lizard also looked awful um which which you know uh, gives these two kind of a head start yeah immediately because they're they're better designed characters. there are fewer lumps of dodgy looking cg yeah th- sure. there's still the whole uh, sort of conspiracy thing involving uh, peter parker's dad which i always find a bit of a distraction from the whole thing the, the number of coincidences in this version of his story i think does does kind of reach a whole new level i mean even and I, this is a really silly i know people all we all kind of talked about this last time but organic web slingers i know they're not canon in the comics but they actually make a lot more sense and they, they're actually a lot more elegant of a solution than the the mechanical ones he has in this one. Because we're, we're meant to believe that the guy who's bitten by a spider, who also was, you know, Lala, giant history with his dad and these spiders, but also happens to develop a, a spider web-like substance, which he can then use for his endeavours. It just seems a little bit far-fetched, and, and I haven't ever quite got past that. I also think, while I adore... Peter Parker and Emma Stone together and I think they're great together and their scenes are sparky and wonderful I'm not sure they're actually the characters I'm not sure that's what I'm loving about them I think I'm just loving them being Andrew Garfield and Emma I think Stone I sometimes. may be the only guy to prefer Tobey Maguire's version because I've not talked to anyone who agrees with me but I, I just think Tobey Maguire's better I think he suits the role better. I, I think he's. I think he's closer to the role I love Andrew Garfield and I think he's great and I would happily watch him but I'm not sure I'm watching Spider-Man or Peter Parker I feel like I'm just watching somebody awesome be awesome yes I have an ally <laughs> together you and I against the world when enemies unite hey <laughs> so anyway I mean yeah this was a, a big step up from the first one um, and and we give it three stars three stars then for The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and a reminder that the Spider-Man 2 spoiler special will be up on Monday May 5th that's Monday May 5th and speaking of other specials before we get on to the rest of the reviews we had a legendary film critic Barry Norman into the podcast recently and why not if you want to hear the fantastic special interview with him talking about his great loves from film of course to his late wife Diana uh, the subject of his new book See You in the Morning download it now because it's totally worth it and I believe Ali we have a quick competition very quick one competition. yes uh, in Phil's absence um, he he asked me to do a little quiz because we've got a copy a hardback copy of 
Barry Norman see you in the morning signed by the great man and to win it all you have to do is email in to podcastemperonline.com and answer to this question which of the following three movies is not in Barry Norman's 100 best films of the century obviously the 20th century so which of the following three films is not in there Duck Soup Rashomon Ghostbusters 2 Ghostbusters 2 has to be in there it has to be in there you think so it has to be in there Mm. You'd think so. If not, there will be bloody hell to pay. <laughs> there will be bloody hell to pay. All right, interesting. So send in your, your answer, uh, Mark Barry Norman, I guess, to podcast at empireonline.com with your details and your address. And we'll pick a winner, we'll announce it next week's show, and we'll send you that book ASAP. Okay, back to the reviews now. And the other big release of the week, the complete antithesis of the big budget Spider-Man 2. It's Locke, a Stephen Knight high concept but low-budget drama in which Tom Hardy plays a man named... Ivan Locke, who's driving from Birmingham to London and has to navigate various crises via his mobile phone. And that's it. That is it. The action never leaves the cards, all rooted in Hardy's character, with phone cameos, or famios, uh, from the likes of Ruth Wilson, Alice Lowe, Tom Holland, and Olivia Colman. So, what did we make of the film about a man in a car? I think it's very impressive, this film. It is an experiment, is how I describe it. A very novel experiment. It feels like a play, and part of the reason why it does feel like a play is because it was shot over the course of eight nights where it was filmed, the whole film was filmed eight nights on the trot, where he would drive down the M6, uh, Tom Hardy, sporting an impressive beard and an equally impressive Welsh accent as he makes his way through this conundrum uh, that he's, he's facing. It's more serious than actually the word conundrum indicates. It's about a man who's made a decision to do right by uh, a, a mistake he's made. He's made a mistake and he wants to do right by the person that it's, it's, it's kind of got him tangled up with. And it's a character study. Uh, a lot of the shots are just him through a window or him through the reflection of a mirror. So it's not going to certainly blow your mind visually in the way, say, Amazing Spider-Man 2 might possibly so yeah it is very insular and very close and you can see how possibly different nights of the shoot were kind of edited together it's directed by uh, Stephen Knight who previously wrote such films as Eastern Promises and Dirty Pretty Things he obviously wrote this he wrote this one as well as directing it his last film was Hummingbird which as much as I love Jason Statham is not a very good film I like that film oh it's terrible I like that film it too long didn't work for money for my money this one does work though the way the posters because it's been critically revered by pretty much everyone who has uh, access to the internet as a fantastic film I think it's a very good film but it's kind of being sold certainly in the trailer I saw recently I saw it again last night as a thriller and it isn't really a thriller it's more of a character study uh, that can get tense at times it can also be funny uh, it's it can also get you very interested in how buildings are constructed because it involves uh, Ivan Locke, this character, is trying to, through a phone, tell somebody else how to create the foundations of an incredibly tall skyscraper. I want to do this justice, but it's difficult to make people excited about it when you actually dig into it the w- nitty-gritty of it what works, it is. Though. It, it wins does, you yeah. over. Mm. I saw this quite a while ago. Um, I think it might have been the first screening, actually. I was oh, yeah. quite lucky to, enough to see it. And I had no idea what this was. All I knew was Tom Hardy was in a car, and I went in thinking there'd be a bomb in the petrol tank or something, and mm. I thought it would be a high-concept action film. And it's obviously not an action film at all. Um, unless you count changing gears, uh, but it's it's terrific. It's it completely wins you over. It's really tense. He's literally the only person you see in this film, yeah. And you're just completely gripped by it. Great showcase for Hardy. 
really a, a real success for Knight. I think he set out to make this about the most ordinary person you could you could possibly make a film about, and put him in in quite an extreme emotional situation. And uh, I I loved it, even though at no point does he sing Roachford Cuddly Toy, <laughs> which might have improved it slightly. But uh, no, it's 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 a cracking film. It, really, it really, really is. Good. He also props for his. He does a sort of a Richard Burton esque kind of a, a Welsh accent, and it just he he's a man who you can immediately see as a, a sort of a quiet, unassuming guy, in whom, however, he seems incredibly steady, and therefore for him to be you know take driven to the edge like this is it kind of heightens the the drama because you 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 come to realize quite quickly what a kind of steady dependable guy he is and you also come to realize how it's all going horribly wrong for him and and that the contrast between those two is is absolutely brilliantly done um the the film sometimes i mean i think shooting entirely uh on the drive and only focusing on him you know there are moments where you get a little bit sick of you know out of focus uh motorway lights which there's quite a lot of, um, but I mean, given the given the confines of the of the sort of the premise, it's it's very very well done indeed. If you're curious about this film, do go and see it at your local very small cinema because it's chances are it's not going to be in many multiplexes. But if you're intrigued in any way, uh, it'd be good to support films like this because they're very rare. Absolutely. It would make a good double bill with Buried, the Ryan Reynolds film that not very many people saw, but I'm I'm a big fan yeah. of. And Stephen Dorff's film Break, uh, where it's him in the back of a car. Amazing. <laughs> it's not very good. Absolutely amazing. Well, he's in the boot or is he he's in, in the, the back seat? He's in the boot. The whole film is in the boot. Not the whole film, but yeah, does boot. Is this just a night out you had with Stephen Dorff? Not a real film, Ali. We've talked about this. Oh, sorry. Uh, interestingly enough, I love this fact. I don't know if you guys know this, but Stephen Knight is the co-creator of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which makes him richer than God, essentially. Wow. And did you also know that Frank Rodham, the director of Quadravinia, that fantastic mod classic is the creator of MasterChef, which also makes him richer than God. I did not know either of those. You did not, yeah, okay. I um, wish uh, I'd known that when I interviewed Stephen Knight. I would have asked him for some money. <laughs> Damn it! I wondered why he was drinking champagne and pouring it all over the all over the crowd. Uh, yeah, well, you know, as, as Peter Buck called his new album, "I am back once again to blow your mind." Uh, yeah, full of facts, me. You're not the only one who can come over here with facts and quizzes, Plum. Uh, should we move on to We Are The Best? We had Lucas Moodison on the show. Hello, yes. Uh, this is a, a sort of a punk movie, um, a punk teen coming-of-age movie. Uh, so two uh, school pals called Bobo and Clara, they decide they're going to form a punk band, uh, which is brilliant. You know, they they look the part, they've got the hair, they've got the attitude. It's 1982 in Stockholm. What better time to form a punk band? Only problem being, I can't actually play at all and I know that it sometimes doesn't sound like it with punk music but you, you do you know some kind of musical ability is a bonus um, so luckily uh, they get a, a friend to join them uh, or a slightly straight laced person who isn't quite a friend to begin with called Hedvig uh, to join them and she can actually play guitar so uh, they they bring her in the music is still pretty terrible but it's actually it's not so much about the music this is not the commitments it's more about just the friendship um, between these three um, the sort of you know teen spirit uh, between them and it's just you know it's 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 a kind of an, a surprisingly upbeat film for Lucas Moodison because I think we've we've gotten used to him bringing us rather more uh, depressing well no let's let's say downbeat kind of kind of films and this is this is a much more kind of positive and and almost life affirming you know option so so you know 
they're not exactly the greatest band in the world, but it's still a really kind of feel-good story. So we give this three, four stars. Four stars. We like here this movie. Uh, four stars for We Are the Best, which ties it for best film. What? Don't look at me like that. I'm looking which at ties you like it for that. best film of the week with Locke. Also out this week is the animated movie Wrinkles, which we gave uh, three stars. There's uh, Pierce Brosnan and Emma Thompson displaying what Kim Newman calls easy chemistry, and Joel Hopkins sort of. I don't know, Twilighty, not Twilight the movies, but Twilight of Their Lives, heist thriller. Uh, the Love Punch, uh, which gets three stars as well. And Michael Sarah and Juno Temple are also in Magic Magic, uh, which we give three stars to as well. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined uh, by Martin Freeman, who's here to talk about his new TV show based on Fargo. I believe the title is Fargo. And if all goes well, Mrs. Featherbottom herself, Mr. David Cross... Uh, comedian turned director he's launching his debut movie Hits at Sundance London from April 24th onwards uh, he'll be here on the podcast as well very exciting times maybe he'll stick a banger in our mouths uh, until then it's goodbye from Helen ew what? Uh, goodbye what's that it's goodbye ew. it's goodbye from uh, what's your name uh, fuck um, Ali uh, it's goodbye from Nick <laughs> I can't do that. So. Okay. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to look for Easter eggs in the Amazing Spider-Man 2. And eat the hell out of them. See you next week, guys. Happy Easter. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye everyone. Love you. Bye.